you're listening to a Trav Market Media Network podcast. This is a pretty good choice if you ask me. Find more podcasts at travmarketmedia.com. Hi, it's Megan, host of Travel Radio Podcast, a proud member of the Trav Market Media Podcast Network. Would you take a moment now to like, subscribe, and review the podcast? You can also reach me at info at travelradiopodcast.com, or you could reach the network at travmarketmedia.com. Travel professional or aspiring professional traveler, I'm so thankful you tuned in. Now, let's dig into where our ears will travel today. Welcome to Travel Radio Podcast. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and today it is an early morning for me and an evening time frame for my guests. So welcome from around the world for the first time, Rick Gazarian. Thank you for joining me. Hey, Megan, thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Would you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Rick Gazarian. I'm a travel blogger who is on a quest to visit every country in the world. I'm originally from Boston, now based in Bangkok, and I have a Thai dog named Khan Mak. Oh, well, one, I didn't know we had Boston in common, but I guess we talked about that briefly. My husband is trying to just collect every degree he can from a Boston university, but I don't know that we'll get there. So <laughs> he's got two from Boston already. We'll see if he pushes for three. Um, now, what about your dog? How'd you come to have that little guy in your life? Well, to be honest, I didn't have uh, much vote in the matter. In fact, I was against originally getting a dog. But <laughs> one day my one day my wife came home with the dog and after a couple of weeks, uh, I would argue at times I love him more than she does. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, dogs, it's wonderful to live with dogs. I mean, with animals in general, there's something nice there. I know some people are very against it. But, you know, it sounds like you rescued your dog. We rescued our dog. And I think that they're better for it. And we're better for it, too. So good to hear. Agreed. So how can people find you online? Yeah, if, if you want to go to my website, that's globalgaz.com. So G-A-Z.com. And then globalgaz basically across Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. So what are you liking better on social media? Where do you hang out more? Or is that pretty automated for you? Well, I, I'm definitely um, scheduling with Buffer for both Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook is a bit more organic. I would say it's kind of an even split across all three channels. Okay. Uh, equally, equally loving them and not loving them. Oh yeah, I get it. Although I'm, I'm really into Instagram these days. I, I don't know Facebook. I see too much political things, so I think that that. I don't think about that when I go to post, but it deters me, I think, from posting. So, although now I just have it going from one to the other. But that's not what this podcast is all about today. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, before we get started in today's topic, I wanted to just on the airwaves, thank you and also draw people's attention to the article on Travel Massive that is 34 Must Listen Travel Podcasts. And thank you for including mine. It was a no-brainer, but yeah, I'm involved with uh, Travel Massive. It's the largest online professional travel network. So in other words, if you work in the travel industry, it's like LinkedIn. Um, And we uh, curated a list of the best travel podcasts out there 
uh, with people who are involved in the Travel Massive community. And of course, you're, you are on that list. Hmm. So just Google travel podcasters you should listen to, Travel Massive, you'll find it. Yeah, and I'll make sure that that is linked in the show notes. It's also on my blog and on my social media pages. And then because a lot of people on this, you know, listen to this, I, I say at least half are travel professionals. If you haven't visited Travel Massive, it's a great place to be a network and uh, you'll find me on there. I'd love to connect. And, um, yeah, it's, I think just travelmassive.com. Yep, correct. Travelmassive.com. Okay, cool. Well, then, Rick, let's move into today's topic. What are we going to talk about today, Rick? Megan, our theme today is reopening Thailand, and we might have to, in parentheses, put in there delayed, but that will uh, be the theme. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got a couple of weeks till this comes out, so fingers crossed. <laughs> and then we'll also get into some tips for if you are planning your first trip as a traveler or as a travel agent, you receive that request for Thailand and you think, ooh, I don't know where to start. I hope that this podcast is a good starting jumping off point for you and that, you know, you know, we can, we can accompany you on your dog walk with these excellent tips. <laughs> so. Sounds good. Yeah. So let's start like as a resident, I'd like to get your perspective on the scene in Thailand during the height of COVID and how it is now. And to be clear, I say this at the height of COVID for Thailand because they're living and operating much like normal if, I remember our conversation correctly. So hopefully COVID is is in the past for Thailand. What can you say about that? Yeah. So going back to mid-March, I was on a month road trip in West Africa and you could see the borders were starting to close and I did not want to get stuck in West Africa. So uh, at some point I, I called it quits. I jumped on a flight and got back uh, to Thailand on March 17th. And the doors shut pretty quickly after that. So I was lucky to get in. Um, since was your wife already there? She was already there. I was, I was on this trip with some friends and she was back in Thailand. Okay. Um, Thailand was the second country to get COVID after China. Mm. But you got to give kudos to the government and uh, the population here. Uh, since COVID, we've only had 4,000 infections less than 60 dead and this is a country of 70 million um incredible when i got back yeah totally incredible when i got back the country effectively shut down in april and may so there were curfews uh businesses were shut i was basically in the apartment uh for april and may uh june things opened up significantly and today i would say it's almost a hundred percent open internally. In other words, you can go to the movie theater, you can go to a bar, to a restaurant, uh, ride the subway. Everything is, is open. Um, is it masked, open and masked? Um, yes and no. I, I mean, as you're probably aware, in general in Asia, there's no pushback about wearing a mask. So you will see tons of masks everywhere mm-hmm. and a couple of places it is required. So if you do want to get on the subway, it's a requirement. Um, for those who've been to Thailand, you know 7-Elevens are ubiquitous in a part of Thailand. If you want to go to a 7-Eleven, uh, you need to wear a face mask. Uh, but in general, people just are not against the concept of wearing a mask. Okay. Yeah, I just, just was curious because I'm in a, I'm between some states that, that are like unmasked and then I'm in Virginia, which I think people, it's a pretty mixed community and so people are defaulting to 
to mask wearing like respectfully. So anyway, just wondering. Mm-hmm. So then do you want to talk about, um, you know, like many countries, tourism is super important to the country of Thailand. Uh, and many countries, um, like the U.S., are chomping at the bit to get back to travel and specifically to visit Thailand. What can you speak to as far as the opening or anticipated opening of Thailand to foreigners? Yeah, yeah. And to, to confirm and echo your comments, I mean, tourism is critical to the Thai economy. We welcomed 40 million tourists in 2019, which was a record. And depending on who you're talking, uh, tourism makes up between 10 and 20 percent of GDP here mm. in Thailand. So mm. Um, so much of that business has been devastated, and as every month ticks by, there's more people calling it quits. Oh. Um, yeah, and it is, you know, and it's a catch-22, right, because we've only had 59 dead. Um, the economy, besides tourism, is completely open, but the people in that sector have really borne the weight of the challenges uh, for, for, for the entire country. Oh, so um, two questions. One, um, have you experienced, do you think that the numbers are the way they are because of testing, like because of either extreme testing or or under testing? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of... Or do you think it's just of, because mask wearing is prevalent? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of different reasons. I mean, many people have speculated, oh, well, they're not testing, so, you know, they're hiding the COVID numbers. I think that's not logical or rational uh, supposition to make because even if you're not testing and if there's COVID, you would anecdotally see that hospitals were being overrun with mm-hmm. COVID infections. I've actually been to the hospital in uh, uh, April, not, not for COVID, for a random accident. And I went into the emergency room. I was the only person, and this is one of the biggest hospitals. So yeah. if they were hiding COVID cases because they weren't testing, I was expecting, you know, 50 people being, you know, brought into the emergency room. Um, so what I think it is, is they for real shut down the country. Okay. So uh, I forget mid late March, they shut down the airports. No one was allowed to get in. Um, they have an app, for instance. So when you walk into the shopping mall, there's a uh, what's it called? The QR code. You you flash your phone up against the QR code. You check into the shopping mall. When oh, I walk into my apart when I walk into my apartment building, there's a security guard who's been hired since March who takes my temperature. And one other example, I forget the exact number. What's called a million? There's a one million community healthcare workers spread across the country who are there to educate the populace. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. So um, just an, just another question that I thought of not related to COVID, but just in that you're living in a country that is, you know, you're an expatriate. Do you, ha- are there a lot of language requirements on you? Um, I speak, uh, well, I speak a fair amount of Thai. Like, uh, I define it as I can talk to a taxi driver for 10 to 15 minutes. Um, are you, I mean, if you're asking, do you need Thai to get around? I would say in, you know, 
80% of the cases you can get around in the major areas throughout Thailand without uh, knowing any Thai. Okay, that's good Good to know. So then, um, do you want to make any predictions as to when U.S. travelers might be welcomed back into the country and maybe under what stipulations? So, as we said, there's been this push and pull between keeping uh, the citizens safe and opening up the economy so they can restart tourism. Uh, I would say since early summer, they've been dropping trial balloons of how they're going to open up the country. None of them have really succeeded. None of them have really been rolled out. The most recent uh, iteration of this is called STV, uh, Special Tourism Visa, mm-hmm. and they just let in the first 300 people within the last couple of weeks who are utilizing this STV visa. Um, 300 is a drop in the bucket. As I mentioned, we had 40 million tourists in 2019. This year, it's about 7 million, and all those were basically let in before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um So Thailand is rolling out this long-term visa, which is good for up to nine months, uh, but you got to jump through so many hoops to get it, and you have to quarantine for 14 days at your own cost when you get into the country. And right now, the only country that is eligible is China. So what Mm -hmm. I'm assuming is if they can roll this out successfully, the numbers will increase and the number of countries allowed in the program will increase. Um, but one of the stipulations of STV is, um, the people coming in have to be from a low risk country. And I, I would, I think it's fair to say at this point, what do you mean? <laughs> so <laughs> you know where I'm going. Um, so are I you think saying unfortunately, Americans are diseased. <laughs> well, I'm not saying disease, but I'm going to say right now we are going to be ranked as a high risk country. So, yes, that's I'm, I'm, if I'm if I'm guessing and this is a uneducated guess, I think it's going to be at some level timed out when the vaccine rolls out in the U.S. Um, because the, you know, the other mitigation efforts don't seem to be working in the U.S. So, in other words, I'm going to say Q2, Q3. Mm. is when hopefully the doors will open, uh, you know, for Thailand to U.S. citizens. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think for a lot of U.S. citizens, it's it's helpful in the sense that we're getting into, like, a lesser travel season. So as far as people who want to travel, it's kind of, not, not a lot of people travel over the winter compared to the summer when their kids have, like, school holidays or people tend to take their vacations. Um, that might just temper people's wantingness to get out. But um, there's there's a lot of countries um, that are offering, I would say a lot, but maybe like 10 that I know of that are doing these long-term visa um, or even one-year visas for people mm-hmm. to work away from their, you know, if you want to work on vacation, essentially, work in paradise. Um, and so in that instance, a 14-day quarantine is like nothing. And, mm-hmm. and Thailand, which has... Now, if I'm, you know, my assumptions are correct from what I've heard, it's, it can be quite affordable. So that could be actually all right. If you were, I mean, I'm assuming from China, if you're coming, like that, that might be okay if you're planning on staying for a while. So not ideal, but you know, you can make it work if you wanted a change of scenery. Okay. Well, Americans hold tight. Maybe Rick, if you hear anything pop up, maybe we'll have another conversation about, you know, when Americans can get back. So that'd be good. Will do. 
Right now, let's uh, let's take a short pause for a Trav Market Media Network break, and we're back. Hey, Rick, have you ever heard of the term revenge travel? Um, I have not heard of it, but I I like the sounds of it. It sounds cool. <laughs> I mean, it, it is a little bit like you know, yeah. Well, I won't make that analogy, but it's the idea <laughs> that people are they've COVID stole their vacation. 2020 and they are going to make 2021 bigger and better and they are taking revenge on COVID and they are going to have the best vacation ever. And so if we were talking about, you know, maybe we're talking Q3 for Thailand, but if we want to do some mega trip planning and travel dreaming for the future and people wanted to point to Thailand, where should they start their travel dreaming? Yeah, well, I think dreaming is a great word because the country does legitimately offer so much to a visitor. Um, there's a lot of caveats, of course. I mean, based upon time constraints, uh, their budget and what their interests are. But I'm going to start off with what I will call the big three. So mm-hmm. uh, Bangkok, Chiang Mai, and Phuket. And one of the reasons people love Thailand, it, it's diverse, meaning – you have a true cosmopolitan city of Bangkok with uh, world-class hotels and world-class restaurants uh, combined with so many interesting and fun things to do in the city as well. Mm-hmm. Um, up north is Chiang Mai, which is the second biggest city in Thailand. And now we're up north and that's the mountains. It's a little bit cooler. Now's the time to visit an elephant orphanage, go trekking visit beautiful temples, and meet with some of the ethnic tribes up there. Mm. Now, and when you say visit the Elephant Orphanage, it's Elephant Orphanage, comma, trekking. The, yes, the, the comma is after uh, Elephant Orphanage. Yes, so trekking so, on foot. Yeah, yeah, and then trekking as a uh, separate uh, activity. So, I mean... Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware um, there's been a movement uh, of suggesting and cajoling people not to ride elephants anymore. Mm -hmm. That's um, yes. That's what I'm thinking. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So for many years and still all over Thailand, riding activities is um, directed and marketed towards tourists. And now there's a pretty sizable movement of, you know, kind of the orphanage and, you know, simply, you know, giving them a quick wash, feeding them or just watching them uh, versus riding them. Yeah. And early in the COVID outbreak, I was, you know, kind of seeing like how much an elephant eats in a day, (laughs) which is incredible, which and, and just that they because it's this horrible situation where you don't want to support this industry that could be injuring the animal, but now they have no tourism, and so now they can't feed the animals. And, you know, anyway, um, yeah, it's, okay, elephant orphanage, I got it, comma, trekking, sorry, continue. <laughs> okay, and we'll round out with Phuket, because, of course, when people think of Thailand, they're thinking the beaches, Phuket, you know, I think this is the most well-known of the islands. It's the largest. Um, they've got some incredible beaches. I mean, so many different hotels. 
to stay at, which are world-class. So many activities, so much nightlife. I'm going to give out a quick shout-out to the Intercontinental in Phuket. Mm -hmm. I just stayed there last week. Uh, It's a new property, and, I mean, it was really fantastic. So uh, I I paid for my stay, so this is 100% just a pure recommendation for a great property down there. I mean, please, you can go into more detail than that. We do property reviews all the time on here. So, please, Mm -hmm. what was your favorite part? Well, first of all, it's stunning. Um, so I, I'll, I'll just simply tell you to Google and look at the images. Um, the hotel's, you know, uh, very white set up against a green mountain. Uh, and then the back of the hotel, they set up the spot to look like this beautiful Thai temple. Cool. Uh, of course, it's on the beach and the great pool. I mean, it was just such, unfortunately, it's only two nights for me, but mm. just uh, great service. Beautiful property, beautiful setting, great setup, and just was great to relax in. Great. Was this like a little getaway for you and your wife? Well, it was a getaway. We were already in Phuket for this festival, which was uh, awesome and exhilarating, but a little tiring. So after that, we retreated to the Intercon for a couple of nights. Okay, good. So there we go, couples. Good recommendation for you. Okay, good. Okay, sorry. What else should we talk about in Phuket? Um, well, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a humongous island. So, um, when you say Phuket, it's not just one beach. I mean, it's dozens of beaches. Each one of these beaches has its own, uh, characteristics and personality. So don't think of Phuket as a monolith. You have to drill down several levels after that. And I mean, there's true five stars down to one star and everything in between. Mm, I'll give one other tip. Um, okay. Phuket City, which is the regional capital, has kind of uh, been reborn or gentrified. This is a city which is uh, formerly sort of Portuguese, Chinese. Oh, interesting. And they've spent a lot of money renovating and updating like uh, the downtown of Phuket City. It's architecturally really pleasing to the eye. And they've also developed a pretty big restaurant scene there as well. So something for foodies to check out to at least plan uh, one dinner in Phuket City when you're down there. Okay, great. Well, what about, um, not on our list of questions, but what about an authentic Thai dish that you would get in that area that you would recommend to people? Okay, well, I, I am uh, not a foodie guy, but... Uh-huh. Um, there is a uh, restaurant called Rea in Phuket City. It's a 130-year-old restaurant in an old Thai house. And I think one of their special, uh, two of their specialties are uh, braised pork and then a curry crab. So obviously oh, the, same. Uh, the seafood is very fresh, obviously. And then the other thing to take in consideration uh, again, Thailand is not a monolith. They have a lot of diversification, whether it's between, you know, ethnic groups, cultures, religions. Um, Phuket is classified as Southern Thai food, which might be different than, you know, what you're seeing in Bangkok. So. Okay. Hey, that's great. It's always good to have a hotel and a place to eat recommended to you. So, ta-da. Great. Okay. So then, um, I'm not sure where we met online, but we did, and I ended up stalking you like a good interviewer. I came across your story on your website, Global Gas, 
which was the seven most fascinating abandoned wonders of the world. And it featured some kind of places that I like to check out. And, you know, these, these are kind of maybe, you know, they're abandoned. So they're a little run down or a lot run down. And some of them remind me of, you know, sci-fi filming locations or even the ones that you did in, I mean, I guess like mm, Eastern Europe reminded me of scenes that they might have shot the series Hannah in. I mean, they're eerie, but they're cool. Are these all your own photos? So, uh, Megan, one of my projects when COVID began and when I was truly quarantined is I started banging out an entire series of wonders of the world, uh-huh. but all of them were off the beaten path. So okay. it was seven off the beaten path wonders of the world that competed with, you know, like Machu Picchu and uh, 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 the pyramids to seven off the beaten path um, experiences, uh, natural wonders, and then I transitioned to uh, fascinating abandoned wonders of the world. Mm. Um, Good project. It it was total fun and uh, great to go through all my pictures and my travels to complete this. Um, All the other series were my work, but for this one, the abandoned wonders of the world, I went out to the community of extreme travelers and had them all contribute to this list. So uh, it's a fascinating list with some of uh, the world's most fascinating travelers. And, and to be clear, you have a note in the article that says something to the extent of, you know, there is a seedy underbelly of, of tourism called the dark tourism, but that all of these places that are featured are, have never been, the scenes of genocide, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. Is that correct? Well, to get in the weeds, I have one list that's the seven uh, most fascinating off-the-beaten-path dark tourism sites, Mm -hmm. and then I have the abandoned site list. So dark dark tourism typically refers to places which are the sites of uh, war, violence, genocide, et cetera, et cetera. And then I made a slight difference here with this list, abandoned. And there, uh, the list of places on this list are abandoned, not because of the dark tourist reasons, okay. because I already had a dark tourism list. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. I mean, but it's just this list. So sorry, I just want to go back to the pictures. It's crazy to think about standing in some of these places and think that, you know, people, not just like person, but like tons of people used to occupy these places and there used to be events here and, and now they're just like, you know, it's you and the crickets and maybe some tumbleweeds. Yeah. A hundred percent correct. Um, you know, uh, there's an Island called Svalbard, which is, uh, this Island it's uh, owned by Norway. It's in the Arctic circle. It's, uh, the northernmost permanent settlement of people in the world and on this island for instance is an abandoned coal mine which was operated by the russians for about 70 years so they had several hundred russians um working or excuse me thousand russians uh working the coal mines and then it was Mm -hmm. eventually abandoned so it's a slice of the soviet union on a Norwegian island. So fascinating place. Yeah, interesting. I, I really enjoy when you come across these things and you're like, what is this doing here? 
Anyway, that's interesting. So anyway, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes because I thought it was, I mean, I just really enjoyed it, so I'm going to link to that. But because you tend to do these off-the-beaten-path type articles, I wanted to get your take on maybe some similar explorations that um, people might find in Thailand. Yeah, so we, we just went over the big three in Thailand. So I'm going to drill down a level or two. You know, maybe you have some additional time in the country or you just don't want to go to the most popular places. So in the center of Thailand is a town called Sukhothai. And Sukhothai was one of the former capitals of Thailand, like 13th, 14th century. Um, it's one of the few UNESCO World Heritage sites in the country. Uh, so fascinating place to visit. Not that busy, even though it's really a wonderful place. And then if you want to drill down one level from that, the official name is the UNESCO Historic Towns of Sukhothai and Associated Historic Towns. So in other words, it's Sukhothai, and then there's one town an hour or so to the south called Kampang Pet, and another town to the north uh, by about an hour, and I'm going to butcher this name, Si Sachanali. So seeing Sukhothai is fantastic, and then if you want to get a little more off the beaten path, add in these two additional sites. So how did they get the UNESCO status? What what has you know? What's the significance of those locations? Yeah, so th- this is the former seat of the you know the kingdom of Thailand, 13th, 14th century. Oh, so. I'm, I'll, I'll make a parallel to Angkor Wat. So if you know Angkor Wat mm-hmm, ruins mm-hmm. in Cambodia, I'm going to say it's a similar feel of these beautiful temples and structures, you know, which date six, seven, eight hundred years back. Wow. Interesting. That's a good tip. Well, then, is there any other place that's a little bit off the beaten path we should consider before we go to the next question? Well, we, we spoke about Phuket, which is an awesome island, but you know, pretty, pretty heavily, uh, touristed. So I'm going to throw out this island, Kokut. Kokut is near the Cambodian border. So, you know, east of Bangkok, it's about a five hour drive. Um, and then you take a ferry for an hour, but this island is really, it, it's untouched. Uh, I'll put it this way again. If you know Thailand, there's no 7-Eleven <laughs> on this island and 7-Elevens are ubiquitous throughout this country. So, uh, very less developed compared to so many others in Thailand, beautiful beaches, uh, so much nature. And then I just had this awesome experience as well. So I'll give another hotel shout Great. out. Yes, please. Uh, I stayed at the Sonova hotel and, you know, this is for, uh, you know, travel agents working with high end tourists or someone with a big budget, you know, I think it's around $1,500 a night nice. uh, pre-COVID. Now okay. I was able to get a room for $500, which is still not cheap, but the value is there. Yeah, great. Uh, stunning. My room is a stunning multi-room villa. Um, oh, wow. Just uh, naturally, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, just it melds into nature. It had a private pool. Just stunning architecture and unbelievably designed. And then the two added bonuses is they had an all-you-could-eat homemade ice cream bar from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. 
and they made their own chocolates. So they had an entire room of chocolates, uh, refrigerated room, again, open up all day. So this was all you could eat, ice cream and chocolate. So uh, how was, much did you eat? As much as I could. Um, <laughs> uh, but thankfully, uh, it, the the impact was not as bad as I was fearing, and uh, it was only two nights, so the damage was limited. Also fantastic. <laughs> also fantastic breakfast there, too. Okay, good to know. I mean, it's warm, so ice cream makes sense. The chocolate I'm surprised about, but the refrigeration, again, makes sense. Definitely. So then before this podcast gets uh, very long, oh, um, you know what? We, we were talking about festivals before. So let's talk about you had two festivals that were that you've been to, I think, recently. At least one was recently that you wanted to talk about because they were pretty uh, interesting things to do. But um, a lot of families listen to this podcast. And so if you have children, this might be the time that this gets a little, you know, I don't know, maybe graphic for your children. So warning. All right, Rick, would you like to get into these two festivals? I would love to. So the first one is called the Phuket Vegetarian Festival. And I just got back uh, 10 days ago from this festival. Mm -hmm. This has always been on my list to visit. But uh, due to uh, heavy travel, I've never been in Thailand uh, during October during this festival. Okay. It's a nine-day festival. Uh, you don't, you definitely don't need to be there all nine days. I'm sure uh, for a couple of days, a couple of days will suffice for most. If you love to take photographs, probably a lot more. Um, it is a vegan festival, but that's the last thing you're going to remember after visiting this festival. Um, and again, beware if you have a queasy stomach, you, this might throw you off. But basically, there's a, uh, a lot of parades and processions that start from all these Chinese shrines every single day or morning and night. But the people in the processions have done body modification or mutilation, meaning tons of people have put uh, giant we'll say needles mm -hmm. into their skin with a lot of them being through their mouth. So just be aware of that. What is uh, the symbolism there? Why are they doing that? So w what happened is in the 19th century, a group of Chinese opera singers came to visit the island. They got deathly sick and to fight the illness, they tried to purify themselves. Purifying meant dr uh, dressing all in white abstaining from meat, abstaining from alcohol, etc., etc. And after they did this, they were healed. So this festival is in honor and remembrance of the gods that helped guide these opera singers through their illness. Um, and the whole point of the body piercing is one to show kind of your dedication uh, and piety to the to the gods as well as scaring away the evil spirits. Well, I'm going to say that, yeah, they, these, some of these, oh, hi, my son's snuck in here. <laughs> hi, my boy. I'm recording right now. Can't, sorry, Rick, I'm just going to mute you one second. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I will link to your article on this and there the um there the pictures are quite um yeah, it, it you took some very clear pictures. We'll just leave it there and and people will be able to see them. Is photography also one of your things? Yeah, I, yeah, I love photography. Yeah, you take very crisp and, you know, I would say the moments you how many okay, you have such good pictures. How many pictures do you take in order to get that many good ones? Mm-hmm. See, that's a great question. Um, let's say maybe I took 6,000 photos that week, and then I edited about 500 of them, meaning those were those were the top-tier photos out of the 6,000. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. But, I mean, it shows on your site. You have great pictures. Um, yeah. And then when you, can, when you come across a good picture, like – it's like Eureka because you've looked at so many pictures that you're like, no. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I'm definitely psyched. Um, I don't know how big of a, I mean, if it's really awesome, then it's Eureka. But in general, I'll just be happy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do it at a pretty quick pace. So, mm-hmm. you know, you load in a folder of a thousand photos in Lightroom and you're, I'm going through them at a pretty rapid clip to see which ones are worth editing mm. and which ones I skip to just find the next one. So, mm. Gotcha. All right, well, let's move on to the second festival. Um, I, I, I think that I saw the article. It's the Festival of the Walking Dead. <laughs> well, that that's my nickname for it and one of my favorite TV shows. So I equate it to a little bit. So this is an event that takes place once a year on a given weekend in March, about an hour outside of Bangkok at a temple called Wat Bang Pra. And this festival is Wai Kru Sakyent. Sakyent is an ancient tattoo tradition found in Southeast Asia. So you'll see it in Burma. Thailand, Cambodia. And for those who know Angeline Jolie and remember her back, is she has a tattoo on her back, which is five rows of Khmer script. Khmer is the old, you know, mm-hmm. Cambodian language. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, there's these practitioners who give these tattoos to people who want them. But these tattoos bestow a magical power on the people who wear them. So it might be anything for providing them good luck in business to being lucky in love to being impervious to being shot with a gun. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's, that could be helpful in conjunction with that. You have to give up something. So if you want these powers, the person who gives it to you will say, Oh, you can no longer swear or smoke cigarettes. Um, and once a year, the people who have these special tattoos can go to this festival and have their tattoos blessed by monks who are chanting on stage. So it's, and it's, uh, to me, it's, it's just an amazing festival to witness and watch these people fall in a trance as they receive the blessings. Yeah, and there's some pictures I'll link to the article. Um, uh, but it, it kind of is like, you know, a real life, um, what am I trying to say? What do we have these, not fables, the, these cautionary tales? It's kind of like the little mermaid has to give up her voice, right? Like, <laughs> and, 
and you'll see from the pictures um, that if you believe this sort of thing, um, then there's, yeah, there's um, there's a trade off. Um, and and one other thing to mention, you know, uh, it's it's competitive being uh, a travel agent and creating trips. Um, so this is a pretty big part of the culture, these Sakyan tattoos. And when you sit down with the practitioner, it's almost like a counseling session. So the person will speak with you, learn about your situation, and they will prescribe a tattoo, a Sakyan, to meet your needs. Uh, so there's this company called Where Sidewalks End that brings foreigners, that brings tourists to meet these practitioners who will sit down with your client and give them one of these tattoos. Mm, do they work with travel professionals? Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, Okay. All right. Well, then, um, before the podcast gets super long, but the conversation's been very interesting, um, is there anything that, you know, you want to mention before we close it out that might help people, you know, get excited to plan their revenge travel to Thailand mm-hmm. or to dream about Thailand? Anything that you want to, that we missed, but you think is important? Yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of missing, I probably, you know, you and I could go on for an hour or two. The oh, only definitely. thing I'm going to say... Yeah. The only thing I'm going to say is like Thailand is like an onion in a good way, not the part that's going to make you cry. <laughs> but but what I mean is you can peel it 10, 20, 30 times, meaning level one is what we spoke about first, which is Bangkok and Phuket and Chiang Mai. But you can drill down so many different levels and get to the most off the beaten path, magical place that, you know, people are simply not going. The mass market is not going. So you can design and create very fascinating, amazing, unique trips. Great. Well, then maybe we'll, um, maybe we'll do another, maybe we'll drill down a little farther one day. We'll get into all these destinations a little bit, like an, a regional destination within Thailand a little bit further one day. That would be nice. Sounds good. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate your time. Uh, Megan, thanks a lot. It was fun speaking with you. Yeah. Well, this is Megan Chapa, host of Travel Radio Podcast, saying thank you for listening and have a great day. You're listening to a Trav Market Media Podcast. Questions, comments, collaboration ideas? Contact us at podcasts at travmarketmedia.com. Again, that's podcasts with an S at travmarketmedia.com.